And it's great to have the privilege to be able to speak at such a happy occasion as a baptism service. If you are a visitor here with us, as has already been said, you're very welcome. And I'm particularly delighted that you can be here with us to hear a message from God's Word. A couple of the many promises that uh, Josh and Isaac made just now for their baptism and joining the church were to meet regularly with God's people and to read the Bible. And when we gather together like this, as we do uh, publicly in Chalmers Church, we always read from the Bible because we believe that God speaks today when his words are opened. And when we as Christians hear these words and respond to them, we experience them as not just words on a page, but as something powerful and living and transformative. And that's why we're glad to have those of you who wouldn't yet call yourselves Christians here with us this evening, because we know that God can speak through his words in the Bible to you as well. So we're going to do that now. We're going to read some verses from the Bible, or I'm going to read them. And then for about 20 minutes or so, with God's help, I want to share with you what I think God is saying from these verses for us. Now, you'll find the verses on the back of your orders of service, uh, the little booklet that you got when you came in. So you don't need to look them up in a Bible. Uh, We're going to read just a, a couple of verses from a book of the Old Testament called Jeremiah. And we're diving in in the middle of chapter 2. This is verses 12 and 13. So you should have those in front of you. Uh, Take a look. I'll read these. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Well, let me pray and ask God for his help to understand and receive this message. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these words in the Bible. Let them please be a lamp to our path and a light to guide us. Please continue to speak to us now by your Holy Spirit as we think about these words together. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've ever seen the BBC TV show, Fake Britain. It's one of these um, consumer affairs magazine style type shows, and they investigate the extent of the fake goods that are being sold on the UK market and try and catch up with the con men and sometimes con women who are peddling them. It does seem that if there's money to be made, people will stop at nothing to fake things, whether that's high-end electronics goods or dangerous power tools or even counterfeit medicines. Now, any of these goods on fake Britain would be a rip-off, of course. They simply don't do what they say on the tin. They're useless, but worse than useless, in fact. Some of them are potentially lethal. So just on the show that I watched last week, there was a piece about fake Botox injections. The very thought of that just makes me squirm. (laughs) Camping stoves that ignite or or, or explode as soon as you turn, turn them on. And then uh, Apple AirPods that uh, can, well, fake Apple AirPods, of course, which can do severe damage to your hearing. Now, when we hear about stories like this, and we hear about people who've fallen for these scams or been taken in by the fakes, we feel sorry for them, I think. But what if you heard about someone who had chosen the fake over the real thing on purpose? You'd kind of have to wonder if they had their heads screwed on, wouldn't you? When the verses that we've looked at 
from the Bible this evening. God is talking about people who've chosen the fake over the real thing. The fake doesn't work properly, and they of all people should have known that because they're the ones who made the fake themselves. They should have been able to see that it was second rate, even useless, worse than useless in fact, exposing them to serious danger, and if they'd only stopped for a minute to think about it and compared it with how great the real thing was, well surely they would have come to their senses. Now, it's true that these people lived a long time ago in a land far from here, the land of Israel, about two and a half thousand years ago. But I've chosen these words from the Bible about them to share with us this evening, because I think they're not that different from us here in 21st century Edinburgh. See, the Bible says that just like them, we've all committed two evils, the same evils that the Lord is talking about here. Literally, he says they've done two disasters. And we've done those disasters as well. There's a positive and a negative aspect to this. We've forsaken the real thing for the sake of the fakes we've made. We've exchanged the truth for a lie. We've said goodbye to what's real for a whole load of rubbish. And it's so stupid, it's so awful, it's so appalling that even the skies are shuddering. And I wonder if you saw that in the verses we looked at, at the start of verse 12. God says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. In the original, that's the word that's used for when the hairs on the back of your neck bristle up in horror, when you just see something that's so awful. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Why? Well, because of this terrible exchange, this double disaster, this adding of injury to insult. First, God says, my people have forsaken me. Now, in the original language, this is put even more emphatically. It's an unusual construction. God says, me, my people have forsaken. Me, the God who made you, who loves you, who cares for you, who provides for you. The God who, unlike you, is all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful. And yet he's wonderfully good and kind and patient. Me. Now, God doesn't say all of that here in these verses, but it's all there in the background if you read the opening chapters of the book of Jeremiah. That's the God we're talking about here. What God does say is this. Me, my people, have forsaken the fountain of living waters. God's the fountain, the source of living waters. He's the source of life. What does that mean? Well, it's a metaphor. There's a spiritual meaning. It means that from the one true God comes life and breath and everything we need, everything we have. All life comes from him, life that we enjoy now, life we can enjoy forever after death. He's the source of it all, the one from whom it flows. And the people here have stopped up the spring. They've cut it off. If they'd wanted to, they might have drunk freely from that never-ending stream forever. Always replenished, always cool, always refreshing, endlessly satisfying. But they've rejected it. And so God calls them out. What a foolish thing. Horror in the heavens. That's the first evil. And here's the second. It's there in the second verse there, second half of verse 13. They've hewed out cisterns for themselves. See, having rejected the true source of living water, these folks had to get their refreshment from somewhere. 
So what did they do? They made their own water holders, their own cisterns. Now, we need to remember this is a, a metaphor. The people were digging spiritual cisterns. And if you read through the rest of Jeremiah chapter 2, we don't have time to do it tonight, but you can see some of the concrete things they were doing. They exchanged worship of the true God for the worship of idols. They taught lies instead of the truth. They chose to make dangerous political alliances with God's enemies instead of trusting in the power of God to protect them and save them as he'd promised. They persecuted the poor and the needy, the ones God had particularly told them to look out for. And they filled their own coffers and satisfied their own desires. And these are all concrete examples of the kinds of spiritual cisterns that these folks were hewing out for themselves. I don't know about you, when I think of cisterns, I think of toilets. But cisterns in the ancient world were quite different. They were large holes which were dug, hewn out of the solid rock. And they were used to store water from the winter rains, so that when it got into the dry season, you had a supply of water. You can imagine, perhaps, if you were an Israelite farmer, and on your land there was no source or spring or fountain, you needed to have a cistern so that you'd have water for your crops or your animals when the rains stopped. It was tough work to build a cistern. You had to hew it out of the solid rock. And then once you'd hewed it out, you had to cover it with a sort of lime plaster or something like that to, to try and stop the rain seeping out the bottom. And cisterns were such hard work to build and maintain that it wouldn't be if we were all Israelite farmers, we'd all have our own cisterns and we could say, look at mine, it's a good one. We wouldn't be able to do that. We'd have to pool our resources. They were such hard work to, to look after and to, to dig out. And we'd have a, if we were all a village, we'd maybe have three or four cisterns that we'd all share. Hewing out a cistern was no easy task. And it wasn't something you could do by yourself. It was a community effort. Now, archaeologists have gone back and dug up some of these biblical cisterns or cisterns from big feet. That's about 15 meters by 22 meters. I go swimming in Glenogle Baths in Stockbridge near where I live, and that pool is 22 meters long. So you should be thinking less of a, a toilet cistern and more of a swimming pool or a reservoir, something substantial. Anyway, there was a problem with these limestone cisterns, and that was this. They often leaked. And that's what the Lord says has happened here. The cisterns that his people have hewn out of the rock are cracked and damaged. They're not fit for purpose. They don't hold water. There's another irony here that's not perhaps immediately evident on the face of the text. And that's that the word here for cistern is often used in the Bible to describe the grave or the place of the dead. It's frequently translated the pit in our English Bibles. So you can see what's going on, can't you? The people have rejected the true source of life, and in its place, they've dug their own graves. And it's not too hard for us to see the connection between a broken cistern and the grave. If you run out of water, you die. If you cut yourself off from the true source of spiritual life, the living waters, then you die. The prophet Jeremiah whose book this is that we're looking at tonight. Later on in his career, in another irony, he got thrown into a cistern by some of the wicked uh, officials in Jerusalem who were fed up listening to 
his messages from God. It must have been a pretty big one because we're told in the Bible that he was lowered into it with ropes. And uh, it says the cistern had no water in it, just mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Now, the way events turned out, Jeremiah was lifted out of that particular cistern. But I'm sure he must have thought as he sank down into the mud about that sermon, the sermon we're looking at tonight, this message he'd preached many years ago. And he'd have seen the clear connection between a broken cistern and death. He was left in there to starve. There's no life in a broken cistern. But a broken cistern might not let all its water seep out all at once. If you were to make a wee hole in the bottom of Glenogle Baths, a leak, you'd probably still be able to swim in it for a couple of days. You wouldn't notice maybe that the water level had gone down. It might look quite impressive, a broken cistern. You might be able to convince yourself it's okay. But it is only a matter of time. And while life slips away, all you're really left with is a stagnant pool. It's a, it's a pale imitation, a poor fake for the living water that comes from the living God. And in the end, it ends up no better than a pit, a grave for people who've rejected the true source of life. These people, two and a half thousand years ago, have brought disaster on themselves. They've brought dishonor on God. And it's no wonder that God is rightly angry with them. Well, what about us? I think perhaps when we stop and think about it, we can see that we're not too different from these people back then. We've all chosen to make our own fakes instead of drinking from God's living water. We've looked for life in all sorts of man-made, self-made cisterns, which we prefer over the true God. And our culture tells us that that's the way we should do it, doesn't it? The cisterns that you make yourself are the best ones. Do it your way. Follow your own heart. Make your own world. That's true freedom. That's the message we hear. We might call our cisterns fancy names or dress them up as respectable philosophies or ways of living, atheism, hedonism, secularism, libertarianism. We might think of them as, as different religions or spiritualities or moralities. But when we get down to rock bottom, we find that at the base of most of our cisterns are the base desires for material things or sex or power or those great modern gods, happiness and self-fulfillment. You know, some of these isms, some of these religions have taken human society and human culture, us, Centuries to build, to hew out of the rock, hard work, a community effort perhaps. But at some point, we need to face the reality. The fakes don't deliver. See, here's the reality. We live in a more atheistic, more secular, more humanist, more libertarian society than ever before. We're presented, confronted with a veritable smorgasbord of moralities and religions and spiritualities from which we're encouraged to pick and choose whatever it is we want. And our culture screams at us that happiness and self-fulfillment will certainly be ours if we'll only grasp hold of the pursuit and the fruit of money and sex and power 
But folks, it's all a lie. It's a fake, fake Britain. It's a con. Whether we can see it or not, or yet, yet or not, the cistern's broken. The water's beginning to leak out. And I don't know, some of you here tonight may well be young, relatively carefree, and uh, life seems fine. You see no reason at all why you would want anything beyond the cistern that you're hewing out for yourself, the life that you're making for yourself. Why would anyone become a Christian? Why would anyone look to God? But the reality is, the water's seeping out. And that's why so many of us are, are crying inside. We're dying inside. We're, we're staring down into the abyss of our own perverse creation, and nothing's coming back at us except the darkness and the sense that we're here, cut off from God, separated from Him by our own stupid fault. And there's just that creeping dread that the abyss that we've made for ourselves, the cistern that we're digging, is going to become our grave, where we'll lie down until we meet the just judge. We've forsaken the true God, the source of living waters, and in His place we've dug cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. And God cries out to us with our foolishness through these words. But why do you think these words are in the Bible? Do you think God simply wants to, to condemn us, to tell us how bad we are and just leave us there to suffer and struggle? No. God's not merely expressing his horror at the evil people have done. These words are a, a kind, a generous, a gracious wake-up call, an alarm to us. God spoke like this back then because it wasn't too late. He speaks like this tonight because it is not too late. There's still time to turn back. For the people then to come back to the true source of life, to change their minds, for people today to do that. And that's crystal clear later on in this book of Jeremiah. You only need to turn on to the next chapter and God speaks these words. Return. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful. Return, I will not be angry forever. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord. And in response to God's call, some of the people did. They turned back. They drank again from that life-giving stream. Most of them didn't. And they carried on with their self-made cisterns that became their graves. And they lay down to wait the judgment to come. That was then. That was them. How about you? How will you respond to God's call this evening, this message that he's giving for us? This evening, we've had the great privilege of baptizing two brothers in Jesus in this pool over here, a cistern that we've hewn out for ourselves. We don't deal in fakes in Chalmers Church. This one's guaranteed waterproof, uh, despite these towels around the floor. But I think that's, that's more for their drops rather than a, a leak. Now, in the Bible, there's loads of symbolism attached to water. We've heard Robin speak about the cleansing um, that the water of baptism symbolizes. But there's also water to drink. Not that water. They've had sweaty feet in there, and I wouldn't encourage you to drink that. The water that comes from the true and living God, the living water that is life. The water that refreshes and satisfies forever. It's available to anyone who wants to drink of it. 
It's given as a free gift from God to anyone who turns from their own worthless cisterns and comes back or comes for the first time to the true and living God. That's the message of the whole Bible here in the book of Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, and right on through to the New Testament. It's the message, folks, I want to leave with you this evening. 600 years after Jeremiah's time, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became a man. And he came teaching about living waters. And he said that he was himself the fountain of living waters, that he was himself the eternal God, the one who could satisfy. To one woman, Jesus said this, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And later, Jesus stood up in the center of a great crowd in Jerusalem, and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The words of Jesus Christ. Now, how can this be? How can it be that a rebellious, disobedient, double disaster committer like me, like you, can drink these living waters, can receive this gift from God? The answer simply, and we've heard it a number of times in a number of contexts already this evening, the answer, folks, is Jesus Christ, Jesus himself. He died for everyone who would drink from that true fountain. In dying on a cross, he became their substitute. He bore their sin and God's anger against their sin. In rising again from the dead, he defeated death, the greatest pit of all, and the power of Satan and death and hell to hold sinners forever. And he gave them, all those who drink, his Holy Spirit to fill them, to transform them, to seal them and their future with God forever and ever. Endless satisfaction. That's what Jesus has done for our friends who are baptized this evening, for Josh and Isaac. That's what Jesus has done for me. That's what Jesus has done for every true Christian believer. Has he done it for you? He's willing to. He's powerful to do that. Whatever cisterns you've dug for yourself, whatever kind of life you've tried to build on your own strength or with your own credentials, whatever you've done, come to Jesus Christ. However far you've gone from the fountain of living waters, come and drink and be refreshed. Have your sins forgiven. Have God's anger against you removed. Have friendship and fellowship with God through Jesus. If that's something you'd like to do, let me encourage you not to leave here tonight without chatting to a friend who brought you, a Christian friend. Ask them, how did you do that? How could I do that? I'd love to chat to you as well. I'll be around after the service. Do come and talk to me if you'd like to know how to begin to receive that gift of water, living water, life from Jesus Christ. We need to finish. That's the word from God for us this evening. Our self-made fakes will never satisfy us. Rather, they will simply pull us down to the grave in shame, the grave of our own making. God is rightly angry. The very heavens are horrified. We've seen that. But God... But God is merciful, and he calls us to turn around, to come to his son Jesus, to drink and receive the living water. He died, Jesus, the true fountain that we might live. Let's pray.
Our loving Father in heaven, we're sorry that we've chosen to hew out our own cisterns and rejected you, the source of life. We do recognize that our cisterns are broken and worthless, worse than useless, however good they might seem. What amazing love you show us, that you'd still command us to come back to you, to drink from the true fountain by believing in Jesus. So may we drink freely from that stream by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and filled with his Holy Spirit, may we never thirst again. In Jesus' name, amen.